Join the conversation with Tommy Weber. Pro and college baseball coach Tommy Weber brings you cutting-edge interviews and thought-provoking commentary in a weekly podcast dedicated to baseball, sports, current events, and the world. Check us out on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and TommyWeberBaseball.com. And make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at TommyWeberBaseball. It's time to get the conversation started, so here's your host, Tommy Weber. From the Gotham Podcast Studio in the heart of downtown New York City, Tribeca, my hometown, the greatest city in the world, this is The Conversation. I am Tommy Weber alongside Anthony Esposito. He's a returning guest, I told you. I'm true to my promise. I have to have him back, my buddy. He's as astute a baseball guy as I know and as astute a sports guy as I know. Uh, Espo, of course, two-way guy, hitter, pitcher, extraordinaire with us at St. Francis back in the day, as they say. Um, Espo, welcome aboard. Thanks, man. Happy uh, happy March Madness. Yeah, happy March Madness. I'm so thrilled. Yeah. <laughs> so into it. I'm, I turn on the radio to hear, uh, you know, I, I wanted to hear something on some talk about Mike Trout and Ichiro on Sports Talk Radio, and I get like Yale against... Yeah, it's, it's going to be all March Madness right. all day I, I long. I don't for, know uh, who would really want to listen to Yale against anybody <laughs> in, in the NCAA playoffs, but I guess there is an audience for it. Anyway, oh, yeah. um, big week in sports, a lot of stuff going on, especially in baseball. A um, couple of events of note, obviously, today, this morning. Uh, I was awakened by my wife early in the morning because we had to watch. Uh, the Seattle Mariners, I have two guys uh, actually with the Seattle Mariners now, Braden Bishop, who's one of my closest friends and terrific player, Hunter Bishop, his brother Braden is with the Seattle Mariners, and a gentleman who was my guest on the conversation, Matt Festa, who pitched for me in the ACBL, is um, pitching for As a matter of fact, today he logged two innings, two good innings, uh, so I had to watch that, and of course I watched uh, uh, Ichiro, who to me, if I had a all-time team of players that I've seen, not all-time, all-time, but of guys that I've seen and experienced, uh, Ichiro would be on my all-time team. I don't know of a player who was more complete, uh, who was more of a credit to the game, uh, and could do more uh, in the field, on the bases, at the plate than Ichiro Suzuki. And, um, you know, he bowed out gracefully because uh, he was always been a gentleman, and um, it was really pretty cool to see uh, the send-off that... Uh, his countrymen in Japan and Tokyo gave him. So that was really, really cool. Um, I figure maybe with two young daughters, you might have been up at that at that hour, were you? Yeah, but it was too busy brushing teeth. And yeah, I figured that. Yeah, and, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, right, right. There's no room for that. There's no room for TV, unfortunately. <laughs> but yeah, no, Unless I, it's a cartoon or something like that. that. You know, very unassuming guy, Ichiro, is definitely a pleasure to watch. I, I, I think one of, the, one of the first highlights I remember of him was throwing, like, just throwing a guy out from right field, just an absolute rocket from a guy just yeah. his size. It was just, just tremendous. My, my recollection of each row is when he was with the Yankees. I went to a game. It was an afternoon game. And I remember uh, I got there. I had one, you know great seats. A buddy of mine hooked me up. And uh, I remember seeing A-Rod. And Alex Rodriguez was there. And I saw this guy standing next to him. And so help me God, I thought it was like the ball boy. <laughs> I really did. I Because really, he's really slight. He's, yeah. he's really small. Um, he's in amazing physical condition. But he's little. Um, and I realized number 50, oh my God, that's Ichiro. So, uh, you know, a game ensued and he got up and, and I saw, I saw him hit, I, I saw Dave Winfield hit one of the hardest balls I've ever seen hit in Texas. Um, and Ichiro from the left side of the plate hit a ball that looked like it was at the knees, like a fastball down and into a left-handed hitter. And he hit this ball. So help me God, it never got more than seven or eight feet off the ground. It hit the right field fence with a thud. Like, like, like something like a car crash. Right. Like yeah. it was going to go right through the mm -hmm. fence. I was like, my goodness, this guy is so skilled and so good. Uh, and I believe also that if you want to play the outfield and catch and throw and understand the fundamentals of how to play the outfield, don't take any lessons. Don't have anybody coach you. Just get videos of this guy. Watch him. Do what he does. Copy it because he's as good as there has ever been at playing the outfield and throwing the ball. And for a guy that size to be able to throw the ball like that, it's really, really amazing. So he's had this magnificent career, and, and it was really, really, really cool to see. Uh, it really was. And now, of course, he's bowed out, and uh, he's on with the rest of his life. 
uh, hopefully a long one. Yeah, we wish him well. Yep, absolutely. One of the, one of the good guys in the game. Absolutely. And, you know, uh, Imagine in this day and age that you can you know, sort of talk about a guy for a while and never have even a whiff of anything negative to say about no. him. You know, in every way, he really was a model citizen. Just an, an unassu- like I said, an unassuming guy. Yeah, just, you know, you from a different culture. Much from, different culture. From a different culture, yeah. certainly. Um, the other big news, of course, $430 million, 12 years, Mike Trout. Um, it's almost like the Power Bowls. What about six hundred six hundred thirty million right now? Maybe we'll get lucky too. Some uh, some may argue that maybe winning the Power Bowl may be more worth it than actually giving Mike Trout four hundred thirty million dollars. <laughs> Look, I, the last time you were on, we talked about this, and and I said be beware of you know opening the vault for Mike Trout, and 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 I, I had a couple of observations. One is that. I'm just shocked at how quickly everybody jumps on board with the decision to give somebody $430 million um, and, and sign him into like his 17th, 18th, 19th, and 20th year of his career. Um, I don't want to hear about anybody's age. I want to hear about how many years they've served because just like an automobile, uh, if I say I have a 2015 Honda, you're not going to say, great, it's only four years old. You're going to ask. How many miles is on it? Right. So um, the thing with ball players and all athletes is how many miles do you have on you? And miles are expressed in sports in terms of years and games. You know, no matter – nobody ever asks the age of a running back. No. You ask how many years has he played in the league. If a running back's played six years in the league, he's old. Yeah. It doesn't matter whether the he's 27 just, yeah, it's not or there. 29 or 31. The bottom line is this. When you start to log that many years at any game, time and tide, wait for no man, and they're not going to wait for Mike Trout either. Um, so I, 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 um, underst- I understand the seduction of a player. Mm-hmm. And how much pressure fans put on you to spend your money on that player, uh, but this is a ball club that is not going to be relevant for at least a couple of years, at least. Um, which brings you to Mike Trout's eleventh or twelfth year. Uh, then you've got to hopefully be relevant. Then and then, if you are relevant, you do well and you get a lot out of Trout vis-a-vis winning, because that's why you signed him. Um, you then are you have a player who's like in his fourteenth, fifteenth through his almost 20th season that you'll be paying. And the reality is, absent the steroid era, there just aren't a lot of players who played center field, who played hard, and to his credit, who, you know, play all out, um, whose skills don't dramatically diminish 14, 15, 16, 17. You're talking about years on a guy's career where he just can't be projected to be hyper-productive so that... You're going to be happy paying him close to forty million dollars. I also year. think the you know, the implications on what what the salary does to be able to augment the team to get it to a winner as well, right? So I mean, they better do it. Does it hamstring you so much because right. you've invested so much in one player? I, I mean, we know it's it's no secret that Artie Moreno just likes to spend money like an eighteen year old kid who gets his first credit card. I mean, right. that's, that's that's been his mo even going back to Pujols. C.J. Wilson, C.J. Wilson, Jared Weaver. Yep. Yeah, and we all know we all know it's easy enough. Josh Hamilton. Josh Hamilton. Good <laughs> Josh grief. Hamilton. Yeah. Good grief. Yeah, and we, and we all know. I mean, this is stating the obvious that you know, uh, those who spend the most money doesn't guarantee you wins or championships either. Absolutely not. So, Absolutely know. not. Um, but like you said, I guess you know you do fall victim to you know the fans and whatnot, and, and who you know pay to come out and see Mike Trout. So you know, uh, I find this interesting, though. I suppose check this out. Uh, in doing some research about this, because I discussed it with my class, my graduate school class, and my undergraduate school class, because it's both kind of a finance or an issues uh, courses. So, uh, and I knew it was on there. It's a hot topic, of course. To, sure. It's what they're all going to want to talk about. Mike Trout last year, I believe, was the 11th most popular jersey sales. Now, yeah. think about that. You're not even in the top 10 in jersey sales. So, so to the extent you can attribute to a player uh, – a revenue stream outside of what he does on the field. It would be hard to say that part of your calculation as to what to pay Mike Trout includes his massive revenue stream over and above what somebody else does. You know, Aaron Judge is number one. Uh, I believe both guys, think about this, Chris Bryant, who I think drove in like 75 runs last year. Yeah, he had a terrible year. He's ahead of Mike Trout. He's like in third place. He and Anthony Rizzo both sell more jerseys. So maybe it's the market. That really determines how many jerseys you sell. So, so Trout, who plays on the West Coast, so people don't see him play as much. That's one of the problems in the West Coast. Mm-hmm. You just aren't as popular. It's hard to be as popular when half the half the country doesn't watch you as right. much. Um, so, I, I just think there's a lot of grist for the mill with respect to discussing the merits of 12 years 
$430 million. When you had him for the next two, you could have sort of tread water and waited and see what happened, like who develops in your farm system. You know, I, I know this is heresy, but maybe in two years you, you build up your team to the extent where you make Mike Trout a great offer in free agency. And if he doesn't take it, well, you know, I seem to recall in 2001 after the Seattle Mariners lost two of the arguably top 10 greatest players of all time. Ken Griffey Jr. Jr. and Alex Rodriguez. That's right. right, right, And the following year, they set the record in the American League for wins. They won like 100 and... Yeah, they lost to the Yankees in the playoffs in 2001. I mean, come on. You you do get to replace the player. You do. Uh, He's a magnificent player, and I I enjoy watching him play, but this is a horse of another color when you talk about this kind of money. No, I hear you. And I I think um, to to, to sort of bring it locally, um, some... (laughs) I mean, this may be an extreme, but sometimes the deals you make, the best deals you make are the ones you don't make. You don't make. And not going after Machado and not going after Bryce Harper and not, you know, getting su- seduced into that um, that arms race. Uh, I-, I think the local teams were smart. I don't know that it was a choice for the Mets at all. I don't right. Know I, don't, Mets... I don't think it was tabled, to, right. be, to be perfectly uh, honest with you. But the Yankees, I think, are better off just not going I think they I were. Think. I think they were in. I think they were taking the temperature. And I think they, you know, they, I don't see the Yankees will easily get seduced, but they, they've been known to spend and make the splash move. But I think cooler heads have prevailed. I, I think they understand that they have enough in, in terms of their lineup and, uh, and hitting depth that it wasn't a necessary uh, signing. I think they did some wise moves by trying to extend and, and get you know better pitching, which was really their downfall. And they're already feeling mm-hmm. the, the, the with, with Severino's injury. So, I mean, you know, I, I, I would tip my cap to the Yankees and, and to some degree the Mets um, for sort of, you know, laying off. I wanted to bring this up to you also. Um, one of the reasons why I listened to guys pontificate is because these are the message makers. You know, the reality is if you don't watch – if you don't check out Twitter and you don't listen, you're kind of, you know, you're in the dark yeah. as to what the conventional wisdom is. And what the, yeah. I'm really a bit shocked as to uh, two things. One is um, I actually heard prominent people in, in the media talk, discuss that Mike Trout is underpaid. And and I, I, I got to tell you something. Unless you're saving lives, really, yeah, you're we, irrigating we, the we, desert or right. you're, you're feeding people that don't have food uh, or you're you're – you're a research scientist who's finding a cure for a terrible disease. Um, you can't get $400 million and have anybody tell you you're underpaid. I, I don't see I mean, that. That's really I, – I, I find that's teetering on like the French Revolution, well, like you know, say, where people get so angry and so offended by the fact that anybody could ever talk about somebody making $430 million as being underpaid. Look, might he have gotten more? Maybe. But everybody could say that about their own lives. I may have gotten more if I had gone into a different industry, or I may have gotten more if you had gone into a different job. Right. Um, but just how could you be so tone deaf as to even imply, you know, in public that somebody who's making four hundred thirty million dollars is underpaid? I, I, I it's, just, it's semi it's, it's semi irresponsible. I was is just going to use that exact word. It's really irresponsible, and it's really flippant, and it really sort of thumbs thumbs your nose at people who pay the freight and those people are cops and firemen and teachers who struggle to take their kids to games because a guy is making 430 million dollars um so you know i don't begrudge mike trout making one nickel i don't care if i if you could make 700 million god bless you i believe everybody has every right to make as much money as they could possibly make and more power to you but Please don't 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 enable people who are imbeciles by saying things like he's underpaid. No, That's I mean, really irresponsible. This is a record setting, you know, contract. So I mean, what, what's the barometer to say that he's underpaid? Like, I don't I don't understand. Isn't that this is you know you're setting the bar here? I I think I it's I, I think it's born of a desire on the part of a lot of people to feel like they're on the inside, like they're advocates for Mike. Like, right. hey, Mike, like, you know, when, when it, it troubles me when I hear talk show hosts who don't know Mike Trout referring to him by his first name. Yeah. That's really troubling because Mike Trout doesn't know you and you don't know him. And he's not going to remember I, who and you I are either. And I think jumping on board and saying not only is he, not only is it the right amount of money, it's not even enough. I really think that smacks of like sycophancy where you're like genuflecting to the guy. Yeah. And it's really uncomfortable and it's irresponsible. It's irresponsible. I don't care what anybody says. So yeah. anyway, um, I, I want to talk about your team. 
All right, we're going to lead off a little bit. With the Mets, huh? I got to talk about the Mets okay. because they're, you know, it, this is it. I'm, I'm hearing, hearing good things, you know. <laughs> um, you know, certainly the GM has, you know, gone front and center as to— uh, He's put the target on them, right? He's put the target on their backs. Um, Which is another irresponsible statement considering what well, the, some of the rest I'm, of the division has done. I, 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 I must say this. I, I like to sneak up on people. Yes, you know, I feel the same way. Quiet, right, quiet right, confidence. Right, because if you if you don't talk, people will tend to underestimate you, and then you can pick them off. Once you talk, now they kind of have you on their radar. You know, yeah. And do you really want to awaken the sleeping giants? It's like this. Have you ever seen the movie Cinderella Man? With the, the, oh, the boxing. The boxing movie, yeah, right? It's yeah. like the scene when when Max Bear is like this really, really glowing guy. He's got two girls on his mm-hmm. arms, and, mm-hmm. he, and he's just testing James Braddock. And he says some really, really, you know, offside comments uh, to his wife mm-hmm. about him. And he's just very, very calm. And you see him walk away, and he sort of just sucks his teeth a little bit like, okay. No, it's the quiet, confident guys, right? right. You want to be the one that's, you know, you don't right. want to be the one the that's, you know, Bragging. Bragging, right. You don't don't need to be the bragging guy. You want to be the one that just, I'm going to let my actions do the talking, right? And that's sort of how I feel, too. I mean, and uh, it was was a little irresponsible for Brody to say. But let's give him a pass because the reality is no matter how smart you are and no matter what else you do, he's new. Yeah. So there is is a curve that we've got to give the guy, and let's see where this goes. But he certainly has not, um, he hasn't... um, sheltered in place if you will he's I, been out there sort of saying you know he's he loves the camera he likes to talk you know handsome guy looks good from stanford yeah um and look he has he has the pedigree of a charmer that's what that's what agents do you know they're that's, like real estate agents they want to charm you they're right. wanting they you know an agent wants to be able to extract money from an owner for his client. That's your job. If I have an agent, I don't want him going into the owner and saying, hey, listen, what can we do that's in the best interest of everyone here? That's not what my agent no. is supposed to do. But now he's on that side of the table, exactly. though, which is the interesting part. It's right? a very interesting part that one could argue that the same, the skill set that you need to be an agent is the actually the the antithesis it's, it's the, yeah, of what opposite. you need to be a general right. manager. So right. it's going to be really interesting to see how he sort of weaves that in and what he does. But But on the field. Give me, you know, I'm. Uh, I, I need a Reader's Digest version of where you think the Mets are and uh, what has to happen. I have a couple. I'm. I'm gonna. I'll start it. Off. I'll lead it off here. I think a couple of things have to happen for the Mets. I think there are. I think there are a couple of can't happens. Right. Okay. Number one, they can't get off to a slow start. Mm. I. I really. I don't know that a team that comes from a seventy some odd seventy some odd win yeah. season. Okay. Uh, no matter how you want to spin that. Um, I don't know that they could afford a slow start because the reality is spring training doesn't make you feel good about yourself. You f- you remember last year, and you're still going to be a little anxious as to you know uh, not repeating last right. year. Certainly, the pressure's on you not to have a repeat season of last year uh, for any reason. So I don't think they can get off to a, a bad a bad start. I also think they have something that can happen that's beyond their control. Well, two things, but one especially, they can't afford. The Braves, the Phillies, whomever, to go thirty-one and seven. No, see that they can't afford that. If that happens, I think I think there could be a, a pro- I think that could be trouble for the Mets because I I don't know if they have enough firepower to catch up. I, f- I feel like we're sitting here having the same conversation as we did last year. So I mean, I'm going to give credit where credit's due in terms of I think they're a much deeper team. I think you have more major league talent on the roster, okay. but I still think you have the same problems you did last year. You have an aging ball club again. And like you said, I, I remember, and I'll remember this. This is a great point you brought up last year. Either you're a contender or you're a rebuilder. Right. And they're still in limbo. Robinson can always going to be, he's going to miss 50 games this year. It's guaranteed. Jed, Jed Lowry's already hurt. You don't hear anything about him, which is which is worrisome. You have guys on the pitching staff who you know there's some starts that are going to be missed. Todd Frazier's around still. And, and not because it's the Mets, but every pitching, it seems to me, I, and I don't know why, I don't want to be added, but I do know that I'm I'm doing this a long time, and I've never seen pitchers hurt at a rate. I can't that figure. Pitchers, I can't I mean, figure pitchers it out. Pitchers are always hurt, so I, you almost have to factor in, uh, you know, I, I guess some kind of number where you know your your pitchers are going to miss 
X amount, X percent of their starts, X percent of innings out of your bullpen. You're going to go through a, a, a gigantic amount of, of pitchers because guys are going to get hurt. Now, who they are, that we don't know, but somebody, you know, guys are going to go some, down. Some of them, yeah. And, and that's why, like, a five man rotation, I think, is the thing of the past. You almost need six or seven starting pitchers nowadays if you're going to, because you just right. know what's inevitable, unfortunately. And, you know, one of the things recently, and I, and I think the, the Yankees did a good move, you know, signing Gio Gonzalez. Yeah, they got him for nothing, and and you know, the Mets can definitely have used another arm, and they got they got him on a minor league deal, and his numbers at at City Field are absurd, absurd. Oh right, right, right. You know, I yep, yep. I don't understand. Like they just they sort of sat on their hands with that one, but you know, I think they're playing they're playing a dangerous game again this year. And I, I, on paper, I think like I said last year, they're an eighty eight to ninety two win team. But if if they get that big injury to the pitching staff. You so you at, think they can win ninety games? I think they can win ninety games, but but again, my point with that is is that ninety games get you into the wild card. So now you have five months of baseball that's going to hinge upon one game. You you, right. you should be shooting to win the division, and I don't think the Mets are built to win the division. I just don't. I think Philly's done more. I think I think Atlanta's on the come, and the Nationals have what four like number one starters at this point now. Right. So you know, right. uh, you're not the only team with pitching. No, no, we're not. You know, so. and, and athletically, you're probably. At the bottom. Yeah, you're still, I mean, you have maybe one guy who's, right. I, I think maybe Rosario you can consider, you know, being a highly athletic. Who uh, needs to have his breakout year. Right, he's, exactly. You know, a lot's going to hinge on what he does. Right. You know, right. and then even, you know, you have a guy, I mean, but for all intents and purposes, it looks like Peter Alonso could, is going to be, is going to hit. What is he going to do in the field, though? I mean, right. he, he, that's, that, he could be a net negative just because of his fielding alone. Right. So, a lot of questions going into the season still. And uh, I don't... I guess because I'm I'm a battered fan, I don't hold out much hope. But you know, we'll see where it takes us. I, I think 90 wins is the ceiling again, and I don't think it's going to be enough to really go anywhere. And any kind of hiccup, and it could be 81 wins. They, they're, they're a very fine line. Right. It's a very fine line they're going right. to run. It's a small margin for error team uh, that can't afford a whole lot to go no, wrong. No, unless I, unless it's a whole lot goes wrong to everybody. Right. You well, know, that's it. You know. Two the national starters go down, and Bryce Harper gets hurt. Right, and, and Phillies fall apart. You know, Gabe Kapler manages the way Gabe Kapler can. Yeah. You know that kind of thing. Um, <laughs> well, you have to take uh, it to get, you have to get the, the the Mickey Calloway uh, factor factor as well, right? Yeah, yeah. You know that's hopefully. I, I wonder. I wonder how much managing gets done anyway um, with a lot of guys, and how much is some analytics guy in the tunnel telling him what to do, but. I, I think you're right. I, I still think that symbolically managing is really important because it does set a tone and a culture. And, sure. Uh, you look to a guy, the guy who's in charge naturally, no matter what the reality is, the guy who's in charge is a figurehead, and he and he has a lot to do with establishing a culture on a ball club. So uh, I think it's going to be interesting to see if they get off to a slow start or if they're stumbling and if they're treading water come you know June 15th whether or not uh, they make a move there. Well, I mean, we have Riggleman in the dugout with him, right? Yeah, he's, got some, he's got some major league experience. I mean, I, I, I sort of feel bad for Mickey Calloway. He's yeah, being dealt a really uh, yeah. really interesting hand right yeah, now, right? So, he's even alluded to it a couple of times. He's, he's yeah. said a couple of things. Yeah, I think, he's, I think he knows, too. I mean, he's not, he's not a dumb guy. Uh, I think he sees the writing on the wall a little yeah. bit as well, too. He's been in baseball his whole life. He, he yep. gets it. He knows, yep. he knows why Riggleman is there. Um, the Yankees. I'm, I'm kind of surprised at uh, the matter-of-fact manner in which a lot of people have the Yankees going to the World Series. I heard one sports writer recently say, yeah, well, you know, on paper, the Yankees are in the World Series. And I'm like, hmm, really? First of all, um, their ace pitcher is on the shelf. That's very, very troublesome. <laughs> very troublesome. I, Shoulder? I, yeah. I, I mean, I, you know, and I, I like how I like how sort of everyone, it's a foregone conclusion that, well, he's going to be back in the, you know early May or whatever, or he'll be back. Why is that a foregone conclusion? Yeah, shoulder inflammation is tricky. If that's man. me, you know, that's like uh, oh, your brother can't breathe. You know, like, <laughs> I guess, you know, that's, that's oh, it's, man. it's it's troublesome. That's no, not something. No, oh, don't worry about it. He'll start breathing later. You know, it's it. That's a really huge, huge problem and for the as, Yankees. As well as Paxton's performed in Seattle, we've seen what some you know right. some high achieving starting pitching in other markets have come to New York and done. Right, so he's still somewhat of an unknown quantity, I would say. And why? And why do people say Gary Sanchez is going to have a bounce back year based on it's, what? We don't. It's another thing we don't know. I mean, right? We don't know. No, that, we right? certainly don't. If you know. tell me Gleyber Torres is going to be good and the other kid is going to be good, Andujar, okay, we've seen them be good. But I like Andujar a lot. Yeah, I do. I love Andujar. Andujar I, to me is like a better 
Nunez. I remember Nunez when he was at the Yankees. You I know, liked him, but he was not near the player that Andujar is. But the same were, kind of, you know, as fast twitch muscles, pop in his bat, can run, yes. throw, and I and he'll he'll get better. As I think his lack of defense is overrated. I watched the kid play. He's he's not nearly as bad a defender. No, as he's not. I mean, it's funny too when they talked later. I mean, and I love Jacob Degrom, but there comes a point where you have to, if the deal is the right deal, you make it. And if there was ever to be a match made in heaven, you know, between the Yankees and the Mets, if Andahar would have been part of that, I would have signed up for that tomorrow. I, I, I like the kid a lot. I think he's going to be a great ball player, Andahar. Yeah, the problem with uh, with that is that you had to get – you couldn't deal with the Yankees because they weren't going to make – they weren't going to allow you to make Jacob deGrom Herschel Walker. No. Which is what, what the move, in my opinion, was. And I don't know that the Mets didn't try to make that move. Uh, go to somebody and say, listen, we want – you know, Vlad, Gamer- Vlad Guerrero Jr. or, you know, one of these, you know, Dante Bichette's kid and three other prospects, plus we want two good major leaguers, we'll give you Jacob. You do that, and then I could change the whole franchise. But you know what? But that's in your right to do that, though, right? Absolutely. As, as, as that's what I would have done. You know, I mean, or I, I would have kept him. Unless they, yeah, exactly. Unless right. you, if you're going to knock down my door with some sort of a deal like that, then you, it's really— If somebody comes to you and offers you 50% more for your house than it's worth, you're going to be compelled to, to sell, sell it. Exactly. Right. I mean, course. if they offer you fair market value, maybe not because you don't— don't want to move, but if they offer, if your house is worth five hundred thousand and they offer you eight hundred, well, sometimes you float these ideas just to right, see what's out there, right. see what the market is, exactly. right? So somebody may, may say yes. Yeah, absolutely. Right. It's absolutely. why you ask out the supermodel, right? <laughs> somebody's going to ask her. That's out. why you ask out ten supermodels because right. one of them might right. say yes, right? right? Exactly. Yeah, so, I hope my wife's not listening. I don't ask out supermodels. <laughs> in the words of uh, Marlon Brando in The Godfather, for me, there is only my wife. <laughs> Okay, honey, honey, that makes two of us. <laughs> Your wife's Sicilian, too. Oh, Boy, yeah, you got to watch oh, out. Trouble. You sleep with one eye open. I have to. You're listening to The Conversation with Tommy Weber. We'll be right back. This episode of The Conversation with Tommy Weber is brought to you by 4momalz.com. Join the fight against Alzheimer's and support our good friends Hunter and Braden Bishop as they bring awareness to a struggle that many families face through their charity, 4mom. Make sure to follow them on Twitter at hashtag 4mom. And for all your mortgage needs, call Northern Security Capital Corp., the New York area's most dedicated mortgage broker. If you're buying or refinancing a home, there's only one place to go. Call Northern Security Capital Corp. today at 718-273-1010. And now, back to the show. So, you got questions. Do you have questions? Yeah, I got a you couple. You said you got a couple of questions? I got a couple of questions. What do you all right, let's go. I'm ready. I'm loose. Ready to go. So, I pulled these off the website. Uh, off the website. Oh, jeez. No, off of your web. Yeah. We off have, my website. Yeah, we have mail. We have mail today. Oh, okay. All right. I was gonna say. All right. So this 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 first one, TommyWeberBaseball dot com. Interesting. We're here with Anthony Esposito. That's right. Two way player. Great two way player at St. Francis. My pal. So you you may you may this may be familiar to you. So Lloyd from Lakeland from <laughs> Lakewood. Absolutely. Lloyd from is that Lakewood, New Big Jersey? Peter Gabriel fan. Right. Big right. Peter Gabriel yeah. fan. A true That's story. So I, inside. I actually, I, I once had an egg cream at a gas and sip in Lakewood. Did you too. really? I did. I did. Really? Yeah. I you get, know what I, you need to do? You know what you needed to do when that girl dumped you? You needed to find a girl that looks just like her, date her, and then dump her. Well, and I, everything's I, even. I gave her my heart and she gave me a pen. So. <laughs> <laughs> How good is this? This is the dugout, man. Say, friend. Yeah, this is the dugout for four it years. Say, friend. You're in, in the middle of a tight two-one game. We're sitting. We're, we're, we're throwing lines. Right. Out. Yeah. For those of you who don't know, the reality is that when the game is really tight, everybody's not so really into it. You know, they're really not. No, you have uh, to bring some levity to, to the situation. You, re- you really have to find a cute girl. Look at her. Right. Point them out. Make fun of the other team. Make Wait. fun of the umpires, which is easy. Yeah. Go ahead. Let me hear what Lloyd. Scott. Yeah, so Lloyd says, so what do you suggest for off-season training at both the Little League and collegiate levels? Little League? Easy. The ball pit at Chuck E. Cheese. Okay. I like that. All right. I like that the a ball lot. ball pit at Chuck E. Cheese. Um, anything that involves a lot of other kids in a completely unsupervised place, you know, have one parent there just in case one kid gets a bloody nose or whatever. As a matter of fact, even if he gets a bloody nose, who cares? Give him a couple of... There's a, there's a great place for that. Yeah. We had my daughter's that's birthday what party. I, that's what I would recommend for kids who are in Little League. 
And here's another thing I would do. If you want your kid to do baseball stuff, go to an indoor facility. That's fine. But you have a catch with them, throw them some balls, let them have a lot of fun. Don't get an instructor and have a perf- try to develop the perfect swing at 11. He doesn't need to do that. Just do things that are a lot of fun, very athletic, where he's dead tired afterwards. That's what the training should be for the league. Say what I think, too. I, I think um, get them involved in multiple sports. That's great, too. Because it builds, Again, because it builds your athleticism. You know what I mean? Like, Again, fun, athletic. Absolutely. Do what he likes to play basketball. Let him go play basketball. But but I would I will say paramount is unsupervised play because you learn the most about sports yourself, your ability to deal with others, your ability to be on a team, to be an individual, to understand you're not the center of the world when you play with other kids. I'm very big on that. any supervision. I'm very big on that as a parent with with both my daughters. Right. Uh, I don't want them running to me telling me this one did that. I want go figure it out amongst right. yourselves, and they will. And, and they, they will. They're, it's amazing they, how quickly. Oh yeah. Right. Oh yeah. So and what was the other age group? Collegiate at the collegiate level. Collegiate's different, you know. Um, at the collegiate level, it's I think it's athlete specific, depending upon what it is your needs are. You know, certain look, every player is different, every body is different. Some kids aren't in great shape, so those kids have to get into better shape. They have to spend maybe a little more time uh, conditioning than I would like. I'm not a big one for over conditioning. I think we do over condition now in baseball. I really do. I think that baseball has now sold a bill of goods to a generation of players that you could get better. By being in the weight room. You can't. You can get in better shape. But if you have a deficiency, you're struggling with your defense. You're not making contact enough. You know, uh, you're, I don't know, you're having trouble on a double play. Whatever it might be. Um, you can only affect an improvement in those skills by doing those skills. Practice and training. Absolutely. That's where success and that's, where, that's where development so happens. So now as a, as a college player, I would, if and most of them do, have people they can trust. I would seek somebody out, maybe another set of eyes on me. Hey, what do you think? If it's a swing thing, if it's basically defense, you got to take 10,000 ground balls over the winter and you'll come out a better player. But um, So I think it's less... One size fits all as you get older. You got to really specify where you're going to get your most bang for your buck. If you're a pitcher and you're struggling to throw strikes, well, you shouldn't be trying to throw harder. You should be working on your command and being able to pinpoint the ball, all all sorts of stuff that increases your accuracy as a pitcher. So it's it's a fluid process that changes as you get older and as you progress and get higher and higher in the game. Very good. Lloyd. Lloyd. I think I knocked that one out of the park. By yeah. the just, for, just for the record, I was in the zone. Yeah. Imagine in the zone. What is that, by the way? Oh, man. Oh, my God. All right, what else you got? You got another one? Uh, yeah, sure. How's about, let's, let's go to Melvin on the upper, upper West Side. We'll go to Melvin. What are some keys to creating an environment for player development? Keys to creating... An environment for player development. Uh, I think you really got to be conscious of, I, I think it begins with the player voicing to you what it is he wants, he, he or she wants to get out of the game, right. what, their, what their resources are. Their resources meaning time, uh, how much they're willing to put in. Having an L screen that works. Having an L screen that works so you don't get drilled, drilled. in the lung. <laughs> Right, and think that this is basically it, and you're going to perish here in the middle of like what used to be in landfill. Uh, having so heat in an indoor facility during the winter, <laughs> right? Having heat that, that does help. That does help. So that's not I, 31 degrees. I, I, you know what? I don't want inside, to, and it's 42 degrees outside. I don't want to cut you off, but I, I want, another time when I come back, we should really talk about it's like some of the challenges that like the com- that the commuter school division one athlete has versus oh you know oh I my mean, god yeah, is, that's my wheelhouse that's my wheelhouse that's why i think that, that to to mention a lot of schools in the same breath as like texas and arizona and arizona state you know there's such a significant disadvantage it's, I mean, it's unbelievable it's unfathomable the difference the, the the size of the difference that exists between the um let's say not fully funded Division One schools and those that are fully funded is literally immeasurable. Oh, you li- whatever whatever measurement you want to place on it is valid. It's like from here to Mars, literally. It's it, there is nothing similar, nothing between the funded schools and the unfunded schools. And if you're a commuter school, 
and you don't have a or or if you're a school that doesn't have a field so that you have to commute to your field and you live in the Northeast. So you have to go indoors. When you mention to a kid from Arizona State, you know, yeah, it's our first day on the field. They look at you like you have three heads. Yeah, they don't. They can't even identify with what that means. They're on the field 365 days a year. And to discount that and to not recognize that and to think that that's something you can overcome in the Northeast is something you need to think about again because you can't. No. And history shows us that. Time in memoriam, we did it. You go south, what happens? Your one ace pitcher holds the other team till you lose 5-3. Right. The next day, you lose 25-3. to three. Oh, you get meshed. Or, or the next day, if we got a guy like you, we lose because uh, you only, let's say you pitch four innings, so you mm-hmm. hold us there. Now, number seven, our second baseman, has to pitch against the University of Florida. Right. All right? No, yeah. And now it's 14-3. And then the next day you have nobody, so it could be like thirty to. 30. Yeah, it just it gets ugly, and it's it's demoralizing, right? Because there's there's really nothing get you're not getting anything from those games. Yeah. I did a Sundays with Tommy about this, and and people got on me about it. Look, the reality is, if you're nineteen and ninety two in games against those teams over the last ten years, you're not competitive. No, I'm sorry, and most of those games are blowouts. There's no competitiveness that you can infer by those results. That's where data really does tell you everything you need to know. Yeah. There are no moral victories when you lose nineteen nothing. I'm sorry. They just aren't. When you're nineteen and ninety two, there's nothing good in that. I'm sorry. I don't care who you are, what what the facilities are that you play at, you know, the trip that you make. It's you know, <laughs> you're not on a yeah. You're not sightseeing. You're a baseball team. And the, the the reality is what you want to do is have a competitive baseball team. So find teams that are like you that you could play against that you have a chance to beat. Okay? And don't go out and become the sacrificial lamb for some school that has, you know, that's Arizona State or right. Florida or Texas or Cal State Fullerton. So I agree. I think that when I talk to parents, I don't think people understand the challenges of playing in the Northeast. They're obvious. They're obvious, of course, the weather, but it's more than that. It's far more than that because especially if you play in this area, in, the, in, the, in, in a, uh, an urban area, land is at a premium. Of course. There aren't as many fields. There are far more schools that have to commute to a field. Right. Yep. If they even, you know, if they, if they don't have a field and if they have a field, you know, it's kind of like LIU where the field is built basically on half a city block and it's, you know, it's all contorted well, that's, and that's, right field is 200 feet away. It's not only just the field, it's the, con- the conditions as well. Right. Too. I exactly. mean, you know, we play exactly. 25 degrees less where our field was than anywhere else in New York City right. or Brooklyn. Right. I mean, it's just. You know. I tell people all the time when I was when I coached at St. Francis, I would leave my office. This is another thing. You know, volunteer coaches. It's very, very, very difficult. This is why the NCAA needs to be abolished and you need to start all over again because no one should be able – you don't, shouldn't limit how many coaches a team can have. If people want to give their time, they should be allowed Absolutely. to Absolutely. I agree with you. But the NCAA has all these crazy rules. And I say that I would leave my office. It would be like 61 degrees, right? be like 1 o'clock, you know? Going to take BP. Right. I would get to the Narrows where St. Francis, where we played, which is like basically in the middle of the bay. Right. Right? So you're in the ocean. Yeah, pretty much. You're like, you're like, you know, you're like on a oil rig, right? And the wind is always blowing in at 800 miles an hour too. 100. I would get to the field, and it would feel like it was 41 degrees. Like, what the hell is this? And then by 3:30, right, first pitch, three o'clock, 3:30. By four o'clock, you're in the fourth inning. And it is freezing. You'd have a tan in March from the wind. It wasn't even from the sun. It was from the wind. You know what I mean? That is so true. That is so absolutely true. No, but it, it, it is enormously challenging. You got to think about you're up at 530. You're taking the iron horse to get to class. You're done at 12. Now you got to go to practice at three. You got to get back on the train to pick up your car to go to class, to go to practice. You're done with practice. A lot of us had, you know, part-time jobs afterwards. We went and worked a part-time job. And then you went home and you did your homework and you did it all over again the next day. So Yeah, what, I, what I saw you guys go through at St. Francis was really impressive. Um, no field, no dorms. Um a school that basically was a building yeah. in downtown Brooklyn, a beautiful place section in downtown Brooklyn, but nonetheless a building with a small gym, you know, Spartan facilities, uh, and make playoffs and win conferences and have guys get drafted. You know, it's really a testament to what Del George was able to it, do. It's there. really sort of amazing if you think. It's about an amazing it. story. It's really a story that should be written about and researched and told because Frank Del George did an incredible job oh, with nothing. 
nothing, no dorm, no fields, limited scholarships, <laughs> no campus. Yeah, Other there, than that, he had everything. There's, yeah, there was. I mean, there was no cell there. You weren't getting any upper echelon talent. Talent like I, you're getting the best of the rest. But a lot of good players. Oh, you had a lot a of good, lot of good a, players. You had a, you really a lot did. of really good players. You really did. Um, you know, you you juxtapose that against a school like like my alma mater, Wagner College, which had everything. It had a beautiful campus, a beautiful field. Uh, one of the most beautiful campuses you'll ever visit. Yeah, no, it was nice. Very panoramic nice. views of New York City and, you know, for a long time has just never been able to get out of their own way uh, baseball-wise. So, um, you know, had a couple of good years here and there, but the reality is for a very, very long time have been second division Northeast Conference team. So right. um, hats off to Del George. Uh, as I, tough as he uh, is, absolutely, man. man. He did absolutely. some job, that guy. Uh, and, you, and, and to you guys too, you know, it, it it really shows the character of those players, yourself and, and the rest of your, your guys who were there every day, no matter what, taking the train, you know, carpooling, you know, really being resourceful just to get through the schedule. I think a lot to be said about the makeup of all the individuals. Absolutely. Too. I mean, and I don't want to I don't want to deride guys from out of state and whatnot, but they were not ready for what we had to do, though. Oh, God. They no. weren't equipped for that. No. They were no. not. Like but, the Jersey guys. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah, more, the they, guys who came from more rural areas that weren't city kids really not that they struggled. Weren't, not that they weren't good players. No, they were terrific. I, that, was, right. that was culture You're shock right. for those guys. Right. It, wore, it wore thin on them oh, much yeah. sooner mm-hmm. uh, than it did the guys who were indigenous. Yeah, we grew, that's it. That's what we were used to, right? So... Yeah, I, I definitely hats off to Dudge. It's a great point, though. I'm glad you brought that up. It's a good topic. It's something that people don't know enough about. I mean, it's not only our story, though, too, Webb. Oh, I mean, it's, there's other absolutely. schools that, that go through the same thing. I'm not singling out St. Francis. Oh, yeah. no, I mean, no, this no. happens. This, no. is a, this is, you know. Right. This is commectionplace. This is a, on a in, much broader in spectrum. And around yeah. where we are. Absolutely. In the Northeast. In the Northeast. Uh, you know, it's not easy. I, I, I've, I've often said I think there are a lot of schools who, if I heard tomorrow they drop baseball, I'd be like, it's about time. You know, I, I understand. It's not surprising. It's, it, I understand. It's a, you know, it's a difficult sport. It's, you know, uh, it's not like basketball. Where the game starts at 7 and ends at 9. You know, you could have rain outs. You could have rain delays. You travel. You have, it's, it's a difficult sport to manage. Yes. It really is. Yes. Um, and, and it's made even more difficult by the lack of resources uh, in this area. So when you have a school like St. Francis that had the prolific run that it did, um, it's very, very noteworthy. And I agree. It's a story. I, I should write that. I, I think I might endeavor to write that story um, because um, it is one that should be told. I'd love to contribute. I think that'd be fantastic. I think we should do that. I think we should think about that. Another thing, I'll never, I'll never forget this too. And it's, you know, if you go to a school like, you know, down south or an LSU, if you want a brand new bat, yeah, yeah, you'll have it by tomorrow. We used to chip in to try and get a new bat Stop sometime. right there. My first year in the Cape, right? We had a couple of North Carolina guys. I've, I've, I've loved the North. All North Carolina guys are great. You know, I'm, I, I love those guys. So one of our guys was an infielder. So I spent a lot of time with him, taking a lot of fungos, you know, working on his defense, early work. So a uh, hard worker, great guy. So the next, like, one day I get there and I said, are those new shoes? He said, yeah. I said, we're on Cape Cod. How could you have new shoes? He said, well, I called my guy at North Carolina, right? Because, like, one of the eyelets was broken on his shoe. Imagine this. You know, Columbia blue, beautiful Nike shoes. God only knows how much. I called my guy and he had them express mail to me overnight. <laughs> I, I wish. I said. I only wish. I said, do you, are you serious? He goes, oh, yeah. Goes, I said, oh, okay. All right, fine. It's a different world, dude. Yeah, it's right. It's a different now, world, he, man. Now, he could never, never equate. Like, he couldn't really, um, he couldn't relate, I should say, uh, to what, actual other division one programs go through right. to just like you said like chip in for a bat right chip in for a bat they're throwing like 300 dollars spikes at them express mailing because mail- god forbid you go one, one day, day without them right right having to like not use one of the islands. we used to get like mizuno wind pants like once a year and like and that that was that, or your, you know your under, or under armor type stuff like and that was that was it that was right. the end of it you the know, proliferation of gear is just it's amazing what's happened but um it's, oh. it's all. I'm glad. I'm. I'm glad we got into into the St. Francis thing. Um, I. I, I want to go. I want to circle back. Um, uh, you know, you asked me what you think it takes to um, to provide an environment that's you know uh, good for player development, right? Um, and and I. I always. I always make it player centric. Mm-hmm. Uh, I start with the player and work my way back. I don't start with the instructor or the coach or the manager. 
and work my way towards the player because the reality is we're all different. Every player is unique. Every player needs to be treated differently. Um, and every player has different needs. You know, yep. Some guys some guys respond to certain types of interaction. Other guys don't. Some guys want to be very interactive and talk a lot about it. Other guys want to do. Some need you know, to be finessed. Some need to be kicked in the behind. Absolutely. You absolutely. Know? And a lot of guys, what I, what I have uh, discovered, and this has just been my own experience, is a lot of guys aren't always, it's not always cause and effect for a lot of guys. It's more they want to feel ready. Okay. And I think what's happened now with player development is we want to dictate the players when they are ready. And it's a very, very different thing. And I don't think you can do that. I think players, I'm more, I'm more eager to make my guys feel like world beaters. Right. Because I know I can't make them anything. They can only make themselves. I could be a tool that's used, and sometimes I am a tool. No. <laughs> I, I could be a tool that's used for them to uh, get to where they want to go, but I can't make them what they want to be. Right. Right. So uh, I think it was Socrates who said like education is about drawing out from the student that which is already there. And that's something I firmly believe uh, we're losing sight of in baseball. The player already has it. You've got to either step out of the way and let him show it. Right. Or find a way to get it out of him. Right. Um, and I think that's a really positive way to deal with players. And I think players respond to that very favorably because what it tells the player is you're good. Yeah. I tell my players all the time, you're really, really good at this. And I sometimes get a look like, what are you talking about? Like, like they don't hear that a lot. And I think it's critical to tell people that are good. You are good. I remember, you know, guys like Molinini when he had that big, uh, you know, Mike Molinini who played uh, for us at St. Francis had a wonderful freshman. He hit like 390. And uh, in his sophomore year, as everybody does, you know, now everybody knows you, so they pitch differently to you. Yeah, the element of surprise is gone. Right, it's right? gone. You don't sneak up on anybody. And he came to me one day and he says, you know, I'm really, I don't know, what do you think? And I said, listen, you're a hitter and hitters hit. And eventually, just keep doing what you're doing, and the balls that are getting caught are going to start to fall in, and you know you're you're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. You're too good to now think that the reason you're not hitting is because you're broken. You're not broken. You were you were good last year. You know you hit 390. You were terrific. You're going to be good this year. And sure enough, you know he he kind of just kept grinding and got after it and all that stuff. And and he had and he had a wonderful uh, four years at St. Francis. So um, I, I think I think too much. Emphasis is placed when you have your temporary failure, which everybody does, on I must be broken. It must be my swing. It's, I've got to fix my swing. It's information overload nowadays. Like oh my we're, God. we're overloading these kids with so many things. It's oh my just, God. you know, I, so I, I mean, I'll never forget, like my old man would always say, you just got to swing your way out of it, Ant. That's it. There's nothing wrong with your swing. Some days the ball's going to look like a grapefruit, some days it's going to look like, like, like a. Like a ping pong ball. It's just the nature of the game and how it is. Because if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. Yeah, yeah. And also, as you know better than anybody, success is fleet. It's not, you're not always successful. No, you're you not. You don't hit every game. So inherent in the game's DNA is a certain percentage of failure. It's not failure. It's a per certain percentage of days and at-bats and pitches that you're just not going to succeed on. And when you don't succeed, it's not because you didn't do it right. It's because in the mix, you're not going to succeed all the time. No. And history, which is the only thing you should ever study because history has all the great lessons that you could ever need, and there is no such thing as studying the future. Well, can't study the future. It hasn't happened yet. <laughs> well, uh, we're trying to. We're try I know, I know, I know. Um, but the reality is there have been a million guys that have played this game at a very high level, and they've all, you know, the great ones have hit 332 and 317, not 617. Right. So that's probably not in the offing, that kind of number. So if you know perfection is not in the offing, then it really is how you deal with and manage your way around when you're not perfect. Right? I think you have to also, as a player, once you have that understanding, try to contribute in other ways and break the game down into quadrants. If you're not hitting, if the balls aren't hitting, That's great. In the I hole, love that. I love that. No, I'm serious. Like if you if you're not hitting, if the balls aren't falling in, take small steps. I had a good swing this at bat. Next at bat, I put the ball in play hard. Right. I found a hole. I moved the runner. I hit a I hit a ball deep to right center. I got a guy to third. You break the the game down into quadrants. So now I'm seeing the ball well. I'm making good contact now. I know the next step is the breakout. 
I'm just going to go on a tear at this point. So you're saying redefine what success is. Yeah. Uh, or, or how about this? What you're really saying is widen uh, the orbit of success. Absolutely. Meaning success is second and third, nobody out. I hit a ground ball to second base. I got an RBI. I drove a guy in. You know what? It's not, it's not exactly what I want, but it's success. But this is there, really- is, there is a step forward there. What's happening now is there's only one. You're only successful if you do one thing. Hit it perfectly, on the right angle, at the right speed. I mean, my goodness, how often do you really do that? Well, it's, it's, it's incredibly difficult. I want a 22 hopper. I want the ball that gets over the pitcher's mound, bounces, hits the bag, goes into center field, and drives in the guy from second base. I take that. That's that's a hit. That's I'll an take, RBI. I'll take the 10 pitch at bat where I'm fouling pitches off, and I hit the little bleeder to the right side to drive a run, and I'll take it every day of the week, man. Right, right. And, and I, you have to be open to that, and you have to embrace that as success because... You don't control everything. You no. know, you don't. You're going to hit a lot of line drives that are going to get caught. So you can't control that. So you have to accept as successful stuff that kind of falls in your favor. Yeah. You know, when fate shines on you, you got to be accepting of it. Uh, otherwise, you're trying to control everything, and that's absolutely impossible. That's what instruction feels like to me. It feels like the message we're sending players now is that you can have it all and you can be perfect. And that's the goal. Not what I believe, and, and I believe this about a lot of things, uh, is I want you to be good enough. Yeah. I want you to be good enough. That's all you need to be. Once you're good enough, now go play. That's it. Otherwise, you're a work in process. You're never anywhere. Frank Del George once said to me, the modern day player is never set in one place. He's always looking forward. He's always looking to be someplace else. So they're never fixed in one place. I, I don't know if I agree wholeheartedly with that, but I do understand what he's saying in that in the development process of the modern day player, he's never happy because he's never perfect. And he really does believe the goal is perfect swing. And I have guys who, when they're in the middle of a hot streak, will say to me, how does my swing look? Yeah, it's, you just ride it, baby. That's it. How does your swing look? No. What do you care? Exactly. You're hitting 480 over the last week and a half. Your swing? What do you again? And and what that tells me is you don't think it's about you. You think it's about a swing. What I want to convince my players is that it is about you. That you are doing this. You're good enough. Even if your swing is not perfect, you're still good enough. And who the hell has a perfect swing anyway? I would challenge. I'll take the Major League hitting coaches in baseball, you put 20 swings, silhouette, you don't show who the player is. You mix in the best hitters and the worst hitters. And I will bet you they would not, if they didn't know who they were, wouldn't be able to tell the they wouldn't be able to tell the difference. Because no. the reality is if you watch BP, everybody's great. The thing that I learned at a very young age to Webb is that nothing about baseball makes sense. <laughs> Nothing about it makes any sense. Ain't that the truth? There's been times that I could warm up in the bullpen. I'm fluid. I'm great. I'm right. in every target that I possibly could. I and get on the mat, and in the first pitch, ball one. Okay. Right. Second pitch, ball two. Oh crap. Okay. Now, now, now the wheels start turning. Oh geez. Right. Same thing with hitting. Guy might be throwing 95. I see the ball like a grapefruit. I'm hitting missiles all over the field. I got a guy who's who's a less than adequate pitcher. I can't sniff him. There's nothing that makes sense about it. When you realize that. I think you're better off. I, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more because well, what are you doing? You're giving up control. You need to give up control you, to gain you control. Have to. You, you have to. You have to give up control to gain control. All right. Great stuff. And not another question? Who do you got? Anybody? Anything good? Uh, People pay a lot of money for this stuff, by the way. How about uh, we'll go to Charlie from Wantor. How about that one? Charlie from Wantor. <laughs> uh, <laughs> did we ask, so what are some misconceptions about player development? The biggest misconception about player development is that there's always a way. Yeah. There's always a way. There's always a method. There's always a a tweak. There's always a something that that you ignore the reality that some guys are just really, really good and you don't have to do anything. And some guys aren't. Yeah. Not everybody. Everybody 
One of the problems with player development today is the, the implication is that everybody can be really good. And that's just not true. Because no. no matter how good your swing is, you've got to have good timing, you've got to have good pitch recognition, you've got to do all those things. And no matter what, the window closes very short on player development. You don't play baseball until you're 60. No. It's not like golf or swimming where you could you know, continue to evolve or playing the piano where you can play until you're 100. You know, in baseball, you have a very short period of time. So if you spend an awful lot of time on changing who you are or what you do, well, you at some point have to perform. I've always been a firm believer that certain traits and individuals are just inherent. There are. Not, I, I, I'm, I said this to a guy who's in pro ball now. We, have, we, we talk a lot. And I said, you know, I'm starting to more and more think that there's a lot of predestination with guys. There's a DNA, if you will. Uh, there's a baseball DNA in players. And I think you need to identify that DNA so that as a manager or an instructor or coach or coordinator, whatever you may be, uh, you can really target what it is a player can do. Because if you know what their DNA is, just like a doctor, if he's predisposed to being a guy that's going to strike out a lot, well, you're probably not going to have a lot of success cutting down on your strikeout. So you might want to try to do something else right. if you determine that that is his DNA. But, but I do believe more and more that you're right, that there's sort of a, a predestination. And I think that's a misconception in, in player development. Now, as player development gets more technologically um, driven, mm-hmm. um, we tend to start thinking that the machines um, are a virtue themselves as opposed to a tool, right? You know, a carpenter doesn't, he can't do anything with his tools if he doesn't know how to be a carpenter. Right. You know, and information is only as good as how well you interpret it and what you do with it, what you decide its place is going to be in your organization, the information is useless in and of itself. Like one of the things is it's it- like money. Money has no purpose unless you trade it for something else. If you have a closet full of money and you never exchange it for anything, the money has no value. It only has value insofar as you're going to give it to somebody. They're going to give you a coat or they're going to give you food or they're going to give you a car. Well, information is the exact same thing. It's only got value. Exit velocity has no value unless somehow it improves knowing it improves your player's performance. If it doesn't, you may as well not know. I mean, I'm not privy to it. Maybe maybe we have made some strides nowadays. I mean, so I know for certainty you can fix a person's swing. You cannot, sure you, can. you cannot fix their vision and depth perception, which are very, 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 very important in being a successful hitter. Unless there's ways that I don't know about that we can do nowadays. You know what I mean? So those are two very key critical components. I mean, that's something, that's an inherent trait. Well, you also can't feel what's between their ears and what they take emotionally and mentally to the plate with Exactly. Them. How do you know what a guy's thinking and no, feeling no at the idea. plate? And, and we all know, anybody who's tried to perform at anything know that that's a vital component in how well you're going to perform. Extremely vital. How you, why, I'll tell you why I hate pitch calling. I hate pitch calling because it involves the manager and the coach too much in the game that I don't know why. It's all micromanaging. Of a sudden, I don't know why all of a sudden we think we're such experts at pitch calling. Right. But anyway... But here's why I hate it. It's because it te- it no, it tells the pitcher that he can't do it himself, um, and it it serves to um, enslave the pitcher to uh, um, something that he's probably well versed enough to do on his own, and it. I think the message it sends the pitcher is you're not good enough. You're not good enough to call the pitches on your own. I think some may argue the other way, saying basically that by taking this away, it gives him more of an opportunity to concentrate and focus. Well, which, which again comes to the point that you're not trusting a guy to do what he's out there. You know, I would say the virtue of being able to call your own pitches is twofold. Number one, you develop a relationship with your catcher, which is vital, enormous, uh, which you can't measure. Right. I, I know. I know people like to measure stuff, and that's great. Measuring things is great, but there are stuff that you can't measure that's also valuable. That relationship with the pitcher and catcher. Yeah, any, uh, and I don't think anybody knows in the flow of the game. What's best to do better than the pitcher and catcher do, depending upon who's coming up? Because they're watching very, very closely. And in the moment, irrespective of what the numbers may say, I believe, and here's why I hate uh, pitchers getting pitches from the dugout and the catcher not calling the game, the best pitch is the pitch the pitcher wants to throw throw. with conviction. Right. Throw the pitch you want to throw 
rather than the right pitch that you don't want to throw. I can live with a mistake of my own making. Like if I if I decided I wanted to make that pitch, I can live. With, I I will not be able to live with the mistake that well, someone. There else you made. go. You were an elite pitcher, so yeah. I'm 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 preaching to the choir here. Yeah, uh, and that's why. Uh, I think college coaches and anyone else, high school coaches, are doing a terrible disservice to their catchers and to their pitchers, really, uh, when they don't allow them. I think you send, I think you really break through with players when you convey to them that you trust them. Absolutely. I think that is a critical element. We talked about player development before. I think the critical element in player development is. I trust you. You're really good. I've had you know, one of the most gratifying things about coaching that's ever happened to me is when somebody says to me, you know, you believed in me. Right. I'm like, wow. I, I, because I don't see it as believing in you. I just see it as I know you have no other way. I, I, I'm, I'm not a magician. Right. So, you know, I can help you and aid you. No, I can, I can ad- but, advise you a little bit. Right. But, I'm but not gonna, at, yeah. when it's all said and done, it's you. It is you. And that's scary at first. But, man, I'll tell you what, after a while, it's empowering. And that's really what we're supposed to be doing is empowering our players. I, f- I find it funny that people who question the relationship between the pitcher and the catcher. And my answer is simply this. It says you haven't been on that mound 60 feet, 6 inches away by yourself until you – you haven't. You're right. Until you understand that. Now you really understand how important that relationship is. You're right. All right. We're going to wrap it up with this. Um, what's your favorite movie? Give me three of your favorite movies. <sighs> You can't put me on the spot like three this. favorite movies. Uh, Goodfellas, definitely. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I, how can how can I answer that question without saying Goodfellas? <laughs> how did Anthony Esposito possibly answer that question without saying Goodfellas? Come on. Yeah. Uh, I, I tell you what, still one of my my guilty. I love Major League. That's a fun movie. I love Major League. I think it's a. I think it was so fantastic. What movie comes done. on that you can't turn off? No matter where it is, Major gotta, League. Really? Absolutely. Okay. Okay. Major League. Oh, and, and another one I'll say too, because I'm an '80s baby, and I love, Big Trouble in Little China. That's a guilty pleasure. Wow. Okay. That's a guilty pleasure. All right. What do you eat late at night? Can't sleep. What do you eat? I have a couple of teaspoons of peanut butter. Me too. I love peanut butter. It's terrible when you lay down because it just sits on you. I but love it just you get that little butter. sweet craving at night. You got to. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You got to yeah. get it. Um. I got a good one for you. How's about lottery vacation? Where would you go? You hit the lot. Everybody's got their, their lottery vacation. I would probably go. Well, my wife wants to do the Italy thing, but let's let's say, I, obviously, I, w- I would love to take my wife to Italy and, and and do that. But I, I would love. I would go on a safari. I would go. That's good. Okay. I would go on a safari. I think that would. I want to do something where I'm active. I don't want to go someplace and eat. So I was. I was. Thinking, you know, I don't want to eat and lay on the beach. I could do that at Reese Park. It's so funny you were just saying that. Because <laughs> I, could, I could go to my Irish friend in the Rockaways. I was. And, and do so that. I, you know, I mean, maybe I'm in the minority here, but I just I feel like once you visit like uh, like a Caribbean island or like a, yeah. a tropical island, like they're all the same. Like me, I'm I'm about experiences. So for me. And we've talked about this at length, and I could probably you could still do it without having to hit the lotto. But I, I would love to go to Oktoberfest in Germany. Oh yeah, you could do that. I would love to do that. That you could do. I actually have it. Ironically enough, I have a cousin who is the uh, the chairman of German studies in Farmingdale. Oh wow, uh, college. And he every year, every I see Jeff like once a year. He's like Anthony. We got to make it happen. You have to do it because he's out there. He's got friends out there. He's out there all the time. My wife is of the same mentality, and she's right. I'm not. I'm. I'm. I'm the direct opposite. But she's right. You got to do it. If you want to do it, you should just do it. Yeah. Think about it. In five years, are you really going to care that you did it? Is it really going to affect no. your impact your life so negatively? You went to Oktoberfest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. No, it's it's just... not like you're taking. It's not like you're going to the Mars with uh, that lunatic from <laughs> Tesla. <laughs> you know? What do you like, Elon Musk? Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You're not. You're not doing that. Yeah. All right. So. The time flies by. It really does, especially when when, I, when I'm with my pal. We, we got to keep doing. I had a lot of fun today, man. You got to. You got to be. Uh, we got to do a regular thing. Yeah, I, we got to I mean, figure weather, out some regular thing. Yeah, here. weather's getting Seriously. nice now. Things are getting a little okay. bit easier, so we'll. Uh, All right, we'll, we'll definitely, definitely hook up more. My man. wife wants to go to L and B. Maybe we'll meet you and your wife at L. Yeah, come on down. My wife's never been to L and B. Really, never. I said, I'll bring it home. No, that's I like, don't want it cold. That's said, like okay. sacrilege. I mean, right, exactly. You have to. I mean, whether whether you like it or not is a whole other story, but you have to have it though. Espo, the best. We're going to wrap it up, of course, as always, with the greatest frontman in the history of rock and roll and the greatest 20 minutes of live music ever. 1987 Live Aid. Queen. Freddie Mercury. Love you, Mama Dad.
Thanks for listening to The Conversation with Tommy Weber. Have any thoughts on today's episode? Ideas for a new one? Join the conversation on Twitter at TommyWeberBball or Instagram at TommyWeberBaseball and share your thoughts. Tommy's back next week with a new episode of The Conversation. Subscribe and listen for free at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Play, CastBox, TuneIn Radio, Radio Public, and Stitcher. And of course, always at TommyWeberBaseball.com. Um...